Praise God. Well, if you're happy and you know it, shout amen. amen. Woo, Harvest Family Church. How many of you rather be here than in the hospital? Glory to God. I, I, I know I've asked you that before, but one time I said, how many of you would rather be here than in jail? And this woman jumped up on the front row and she started dancing. I said, what in the world? She said, I just got out of jail. I said, glory. <laughs> so we're happy to be here. We, we love you. We love your pastors. And we're going to have a great time in the presence of God. Thanks for coming out. Thank you sincerely for coming, meeting together as the body of Christ. You know, something very dear to the heart of God is the local church. How many of you believe you're in the right place at the right time, the right people? In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, uh, Jesus spoke these words. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you know if Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, then the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And ever since he spoke those words, he's been busy building his church, establishing his kingdom, the ecclesia, the elect, those who were called out, separated from the world, separated unto his divine purpose, and empowered to establish his kingdom and his will in the earth. And a very essential part of that uh, building program and process is the local church. I'm not sure if most people realize, but probably one of the most significant decisions you and I will ever make as a Christian is where we go to church. That one decision will have tremendous impact on our lives, uh, personally, the lives of our family, and can impact our personal destinies. I think it's interesting to note in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse uh, 18, the Bible says that God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Notice it's not as we pleased, right? But as he pleased. Uh, the Moffat translation says, and I'll just quote it to you, it says, as it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. So what that tells me as a Christian, if God has set every member in the church as it's pleased him right where he wanted it, then that tells me that where I go to church and where you go to church is not necessarily a matter of personal preference, right? As much as it is a matter of divine appointment and uh, ordination. Now, there's several reasons for that. Of course, first of all, every sheep needs a shepherd, right? This is God's plan. This is his way. And so God will place each one of us as a Christian in a local church under the care of a pastor where we can be fed the Word of God, we can grow up spiritually, we can be protected and nurtured as a young believer, we can be encouraged and preserved as a mature believer, and where we can receive the necessary spiritual impartations and knowledge and equipment uh, to set us on the right course in life in fulfilling uh, God's divine purpose for us. Can you say amen? And so in one sense of the word, you know, uh, the local church is where we find our significance as a Christian. It's where our individual purposes are discovered within the context of the corporate purpose. 
None of us were ever intended to be an entity unto ourselves. Whether we realize it or not, our lives, our purposes, our destinies as Christians are interconnected in Christ. And so my life as a Christian and your life as a Christian can never find its true significance until we discover how we relate to the body of Christ as a whole. And that discovery primarily takes place within the context of the local church. And we say, you know, the local church, and the reason I'm saying this is I want to thank you for being here. What Your presence is significant. The local church is a place where you and I develop relationships with other believers, where we strengthen and we encourage one another. And there's been, you know, the the ideologies of our present society have infiltrated some of the hearts and minds of Christians. And that ideology is individualism, isolation, non-accountability, a convenience, all of which are totally uh, contrary to the ideology of the kingdom of God. And so, man, praise God. I suppose uh, we know why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10.25, and I'm sure you've heard it quoted many times over the last couple of years, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So we, we need each other, and uh, we're intended to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. I saw this joke on uh, Facebook, and it is a joke because we do realize not everyone uh, can get out, you know. But on, on this cartoon, you know, there, uh, there was a man, Mr. Jones, he passed away, and he went up to the pearly gates. And Peter met him there, and he was examining the role to find Mr. Jones's name. And he said, oh, yes, 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 Mr. Jones, I see your name right here. He said, now, I do see in the notation uh, that you didn't actually attend church, but you did watch it online. So he said, you won't actually get to go into heaven, but you may watch it online. <laughs> And, you know, like I said, that's not to criticize anyone because we do realize there are people watching that, you know, they just can't come for some reason. But it is kind of funny. Don't you agree? So, you know, I'd never be where I am in my life uh, if it weren't for my constant and continual relationship with the local church throughout my life. I was born and raised as a Southern Baptist. The local church was the center of our community life. Uh, I, I served in the local church since I was 16 years old. I, uh, I was trained in the local church. I met my wife in the local church. Our ministry was launched from the local church. And a large portion and emphasis of our ministry today is still uh, to the local church. Someone say, thank God for the local church. So we said to you that where we go to church as a Christian is not necessarily a matter of personal preference as much as it is a matter of divine appointment. We said there are several reasons for that. First of all, God knows what each and every one of us are going to need in this life to run our race, to finish our course, to fulfill our divine purpose, and He knows where to send us to receive the revelation, the knowledge, the, the impartations uh, necessary to, to actualize that. But also he knows where to send us 
where our lives will be connected with other believers. As we said, our lives and our purposes are interconnected in Christ because there are not only personal destinies, but how many of you know there are corporate destinies, right? And there are relationships that need to be forged that will impact our lives personally, the lives of our children, perhaps in business or future. And God knows where to send us so that those relationships can be developed and forged. Because once again, they're not only personal destinies, but corporate ones. I want to read you a scripture in Exodus 31, uh, beginning in verse 1. Uh, The Lord spoke to Moses. Now notice he's speaking to Moses and he said, See, I've called by name Bazil, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and in silver and in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishma, of the tribe of Dan. And I put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. Now watch this, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Verse 11, And the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, shall they do. Isn't that interesting? God said, Moses, I've got a vision and a commission. I want you to build me a tabernacle, but I'm also equipping individuals that are surrounding you with the gifts and the graces and the abilities to do what I've commanded you to do. So the reality is when God sends a pastor to a city like this one with a vision, he simultaneously calls a people if they're listening with, once again, the gifts, the graces, the resources, the abilities to facilitate that vision and to bring it into fruition. So I always tell people, never let anyone or anything separate you from your God-appointed placement in the body of Christ as it pertains uh, uh, to the, the will of God and the local church. Are you with me? Because... I've seen people leave places uh, out of offense. Uh, Maybe they they have their own agenda. Uh, They get disgruntled about something. Or or maybe, you know, they get discouraged because of life's events and they just withdraw from the body of Christ. And and because I've been around a while, I can see the impact, the long-term impact that has upon not only them personally, but their family. So there's something about staying in the right place with the right people. You're God-appointed a place that there's an eternal blessing. I really believe that for those who find their place and stay in it. Now, we know people transition by the will of God and by the leading of the Spirit at times. We understand that. But once again, thank you for being here being a part of Harvest Family Church, giving your supply, there's an eternal blessing awaiting you for that faithfulness. Can you say amen? And so, you know, just thinking about all of that this morning and and once again commending you, it just seemed good to me in the Holy Ghost. 
Uh, we just passed Thursday Thanksgiving. We're coming up on Christmas. It just seemed good to me and to the Holy Spirit that we should have what I would call a celebration service today. What do you mean a celebration service? I mean recalling to mind the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God to us personally, corporately, uh, as a church, as a people, individually, and to offer what the Scripture calls the sacrifice of praise. Anybody with me? So I thought before we did that, I'd just lay a good little foundation from the Scripture from which to operate. You know, one thing my spiritual father taught me <clears throat> is that everything we, should, we do should be founded upon the Word of God. So I know you're well taught, but it doesn't hurt to rehearse it. Is that okay? Uh, now, today's service is a participator service. It won't be a, a spectator, so get ready because you're going to be participating. I'm just going to lay a little groundwork. Are you with me? <laughs> so you'll remember, of course, in the Old Testament, there was a priesthood from the tribe of Levi, right? And it was the responsibility of the priesthood to offer the various sacrifices that were required as ordinances of worship under the Old Covenant. There were daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, annual sacrifices. There were wave offerings, grain offerings, offerings given for restored health. You name it, they had it. And it was the responsibility of the priesthood to offer those sacrifices. <clears throat> so how many of you know that in the New Testament dispensation, uh, that the institution of the priesthood still exists. Does anybody know that? Really? Sure. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us. Notice here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation. A what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we are in the New Testament dispensation, and you and I as the born-again sons and daughters of Almighty God have likewise become the priesthood, a royal priesthood in the New Testament dispensation. Now, you understand in the Old Covenant that man is separated from God because of sin, right? And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, notice, it says the wages or the payment or the compensation necessary for sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we've got a sin problem in the old covenant. And the payment or the wages necessary for that sin is death. So God said, listen, we're going to devise a temporary solution for the sin problem until I can send the final one. And here's what we'll do. Every year, once a year, the high priest and only the high priest will take the blood of a calf, goat, sacrificial animal. He will shed its blood upon the altar and sprinkle its blood upon the mercy seat in the inner sanctuary of the temple in my presence. And I will receive the blood of that animal as 
atonement or payment or compensation for the sins of the people for one year, right? Now you say, now why blood? Well, Leviticus 17 and 11, what does it tell us? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement or payment for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So basically he was saying when you pour out the blood of that animal, you're pouring out the life of that animal. And of course, uh, uh, Hebrews 9 and 22, I believe it is, it says, without the shedding of blood... There can be no remission, no dismissal of the charges. And so every year, once a year, he said the high priest will come and make payment, basically. Make atonement by shedding the blood of that animal. And uh, we'll do that every year until, and we'll call it the day of atonement, and we'll do it every year until the final solution can come which he did. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus, for he will what? He will save his people from their sin. How? By shedding his own blood. The Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world, shedding his blood upon the altar of the cross, eternally purging the sins of all those who will receive the sacrifice. How many of you have received that sacrifice and professed faith in his name? Glory to God. Our sins are remitted. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and 12, it wasn't by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So the good news is that particular sacrifice, the sin offering, never has to be offered again. It has been offered once and for all, eternally satisfying the claims of justice, and the priesthood never has to offer that sacrifice again. And yet... You and I, as the New Testament priesthood, there are still sacrifices that we are required to offer as ordinances of worship under the New Covenant. Well, what are those sacrifices? Well, it's not the blood of bulls, goats, pigeons, or doves, right? What is it? The Bible tells us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, I want you to notice... You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, here we go, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the sacrifices that you and I are to offer as kings and priests in the New Testament uh, covenant are spiritual in nature and origin. And the Bible gives us some insight into what those are. One that I'll mention, it's not necessarily our point uh, this morning, but one is in Romans 12, 1 through 2. You remember this? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, right? A living, lifetime sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to him, which is our reasonable service. One translation says, our spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you know worship is not an event exclusively? Right? Worship is a lifestyle. So he said, one of the sacrifices I want you to offer me is your body, your life, moment by moment, day by day, lived in obedience and reverence and submission to my word, to my will, and to my person. Right? You've read it probably in the Message Bible. I'll just quote it. I didn't give it to you guys. Paul said, look, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. I want you to take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life. And I want you to place it before me as an offering. And don't become so conformed to your culture that you fit in without even realizing it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Isn't that beautiful? So one of the sacrifices we're to offer is our bodies, our lives, but the one I want to camp on this morning, and we're going to demonstrate, right, personally and corporately, is this one over in Hebrews 13 and 15. Notice, Therefore, by Him, by Jesus Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is... Aren't you glad he didn't leave us in the dark about what this sacrifice consists of? That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. So the sacrifice of praise which you and I as the New Testament priesthood are required to offer, right, is the expression of the heart. In thanksgiving to God through the lips, through the mouth, right? Now, in our modern society, uh, uh, unfortunately, people have become uncomfortable with expressing themselves, their hearts, you know, many times in an intimate way. And so people say, well, let's praise the Lord, and people begin to applaud Him. Well, you can clap with the music, have a great time. But when somebody says, let's praise the Lord, that's when the mouth goes open. The hands go up and the heart begins to express itself in thanksgiving to our God for all that he has done for us in Christ, through Christ, in our lives, right? The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Is this in scripture? Sure. Psalm 34 and verse 1, notice. I will bless the Lord at all times. Here we go. His praise shall continually be where? In my mouth. Here's another one. Psalm 71 and verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your honor all the day. So once again, praise, the sacrifice of praise demands the expression of the heart in thanksgiving to God through the lips or the mouth. Now, uh, you know, I taught in the Rhema School of Worship while I was there, and so we'd kind of investigate some of these things more thoroughly. 
And thinking about the word praise in the Greek, there are several connotations, you know, or aspects of that word. And we'll just look at them because we want to demonstrate that this morning. Uh, The first one is to shine, right? To shine. So that means praise involves the countenance. You know, the scripture says, lift up your countenance, all you saints of God, right? So it would be quite impossible to praise him with an old mully grub face. Well, you're so good. Thank you. Really? I don't believe you. Come on, let's shine. Shine. And then another aspect of the word means to make a show. Make a show. That would tell me that there's something visible occurring where, you know, people can observe some activity. Somebody's making a show. You know, you've heard people come into kind of a wild service sometimes and they'll say, man, they're just making a show. Exactly. Exactly. That's scriptural. To make a show. There's some type of demonstration when praise is present in the house. Somebody say shine. Make a show. Now here's another one uh, aspect. The third one is to boast. Boast. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know how little kids get maybe a little spat or something. And, and so they're saying, well, my dad will beat your dad. Right Or my brother will beat your brother, or whatever the case is. They're boasting in their dad, you know, oh, well, my dad's this, my dad's that. When you talk about praise, you start boasting in your heavenly father. You start talking about how amazing and awesome and faithful and almighty he is. There's none above you. There's none beside you. There's none before you. You alone are God. You're the supreme ruler of this universe. Woo! You're my father. You start boasting in him. Shine, make a show, boast of his greatness, his goodness, his faithfulness, right? Now here's the fourth one, and it means in the Hebrew to celebrate. Now that's a definition or an aspect of praise is celebration, right? Now, I just got to ask you a question. Have you ever been to a ball game, football game? I guess yesterday at the game. And I mean when your team wins, right? Scores the touchdown, the goal, whatever the case may be. And you are a fan, right? You don't sit there and go, well, isn't that wonderful, Martha? They made a touchdown. Wonderful. Is that what you do if you're a fan? I mean, a a real fan? I mean, if somebody makes a touchdown and you're a fan, you're jumping around. I mean, you're slapping people. You're jumping. Nobody thinks anything about it. Why? Oh, man, they're just celebrating. They're a fan. How many of you know Jesus did a lot more than take a bag of wind down the field? He redeemed us. He saved us. He deserves a little celebration to shine, make a show, boast, celebrate. People say, well, that's just emotionalism. But the same person will sit in their chair on Sunday 
with their bag of chips and Dr. Pepper and go crazy over that game. What's the difference? What you're a fan of. Right? Here's another one. The last aspect in the Hebrew is to commend or speak favorably of. To commend. That means, uh, just if I were to say, oh, Brother Nick, the worship was so uh, anointed this morning. Thank you so much. I'm commending. I'm speaking favorably to those who participated, right? The band and the singers. And, and so that's an aspect of praise. We commend and we speak favorably of our God. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you that you've made us new creations. You've redeemed us from the curse of the law. You've raised us up and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ. You took us out of darkness into light, out of death into life. You translated us out of the kingdom of Satan and you've brought us into the kingdom of your dear son. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? So to shine, to make a show, to boast, to celebrate, to commend or speak favorably of. And then, of course, in the Greek, uh, the definition of the word praise, it brings it into the individual uh, expression where it says the genuine, that means heartfelt, the genuine confession, there's the mouth again, of facts in one's life that gives or brings glory to God. That means when He saved you, filled you with the Holy Spirit, turned your life around, delivered you from anxiety or depression, or healed your body when the doctor said no way, or helped you get that first house and you didn't know how you were going to make the payment, or delivered you from some debt, or brought a supernatural event that changed the course of your life, or saved your kids when He did something for you personally. How many of you could raise your hand and say, God's done something for me personally? Amen. How many of you could raise your hand and say you've earnestly, and I'm not talking about some little toenail, but you've been healed by the power of God. Raise your hand. Amen. And thank God for the toenail. I mean, the little things count, you know. But praise God. Yes, He's good. Yes, He's done amazing things. And so this morning, it just seemed good to me that we should offer the sacrifice of praise. Notice in 1 Chronicles 16 and 34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He's good and His mercy endures forever. The psalmist said in Psalm 92 and uh, verse 1 and 2, and I believe it's in the Living Bible. I want to read this to you. Notice. It is good to say thank you to the Lord. To sing praises to the God who is above all gods. Look at this. Every morning tell Him, thank you for your kindness. Every evening rejoice in His faithfulness. Isn't that beautiful, man? Every morning, thank you for your kindness, Father. Every evening rejoice in His faithfulness. Here's another one, Psalm 35 and 28. Just give you plenty of Scripture. In the King James or the New, it says, My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Now, here's the living Bible, and that's what I want you to get because your turn's coming. I will tell 
everyone how great and how good you are. I will praise you all day long. I'll tell everyone. You say, now why do I have to tell people? I tell people, if God delivered you from alcoholism or drug addiction, tell people. Well, why do I have to tell it? Well, I'll tell you a good reason. In 1953, Brother Hagin was in Arizona. He was holding a meeting there. Uh, after the service, they came back to a pastor's house. He said, listen, I've got to pray, and I've got to pray now. He had an unction. So he gets down in, on his knees, and they begin to pray. And in a moment, he's in the spirit, and uh, he's having what we call a, a spiritual vision where the eyes are closed, but you're seeing into the spirit realm as opposed to an open vision where your eyes are open and your physical senses are still intact, but you're seeing in the spirit realm. But his eyes are closed, and, and there's Jesus standing there in this vision. And so, uh, he, he, of course, said that the Lord spoke to him about a man that would be in the service Sunday night, 72 years old, lost, one foot in hell and the other quickly going in, and that he needed to be saved. Brother Hagin, of course, in that service, located the gentleman, got him born again, and into the kingdom. He talked to him about financial things concerning his ministry, the United States, and so forth. So, he said, uh, after that uh, visitation, the Lord Jesus, in the vision... Uh, how many of you know visions are scriptural, right? How do we know? The Bible tells us so, Acts 2, 17. We won't go there. But your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So if you have a dream and you don't want to be considered old, just say it was a night vision, right? So anyway, so in this vision, Jesus is walking away. And Brother Hagin said, I don't know why, but I was just prompted uh, as he was walking away in this vision. He said, Lord Jesus, before you go, can I ask you something? He said, Jesus retraced his steps and said, well, certainly. So he said, it seems to me that, uh, you know, the story uh, with the, the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, uh, that the Holy Spirit has been attempting to get a message over to me, but I've been unable to, to uh, receive it in totality. So he said, while you're here, would you mind giving me that message? And Jesus is so sweet. He said, yes, yes, certainly. So he said, get a piece of paper and a pencil. Now he's in a, in a spiritual vision, so his eyes closed. So he opens his eyes. He said, quick, give me a piece of paper and a pencil. So they gave it to him, closed his eyes, and there, there he's back engaged. And so Jesus said, and this is not my point, but I want to just share real quickly so I can get to my point. He said, now take uh, one, two, three, four. And he said, I want you to write down these four points. If anyone anywhere will engage in these four principles, they can receive whatever they need from me or God the Father. Now, do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She heard of Jesus. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She pressed in the crowd, which was unlawful for her to do. She came and she touched the hem of his garment. She was supernaturally healed. And then she, he said, who touched me? And they told him the woman and she came and told him all that had happened, right? You remember the story? So Jesus said these four principles. Number one, say it, right? Number two, do it act upon it. Number three, receive it. And there are a lot of things that go with these, but this is the fourth one he said. Then go tell it. And the Lord said, the reason you go tell it is because not only does it bring glory to the Father, 
but it also encourages and strengthens the faith of other people. When you and I tell what God has done for us, it encourages others. Are you with me this morning? So here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. All right? You and I are going to corporately, as the sons, daughters, and the priesthood, right? In the congregation of the righteous, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, are we not? We're going to offer the sacrifice of praise. We're going to do it, first of all, corporately. In a moment, I'm not now, but in a moment, I'm going to have everybody stand. Then I'm going to count to three. And when I do, we're going to begin to corporately offer the sacrifice of praise to God for all that He has done for us in Christ. We're going to raise the roof, right? And we'll praise Him for a few moments. And then, here comes your part. I'm going to ask different ones of you as your heart prompts you. Now, I've already seen your hands. You said God's done something good for you. So if I, I will come get you, but I'd rather not, right? I want as your heart prompts you. We're going to move this podium in a minute, and I'm going to ask you to come up here and to offer, think about it, a personal sacrifice of praise to God. Come tell it. If he healed you, come tell it. If he blessed you, come tell it. If he, if he delivered you, come tell it. Why do I have to tell it? Well, first of all, it's required as a sacrifice under the New Testament by the priesthood. Secondly, it gives glory to God and it encourages the faith of other people. All right? Now, I'll say this as kindly as possible. We're not asking for our latest revelation from the Scripture. We don't want a mini-sermon, right? Uh, what we're asking for is a short, concise, uh, this is what I had, or this was the situation, and this is what God did, right? What we call headlines. No fine print. Because we want to keep the flow going. If we get up and go into all the details, it just bogs it down. Are you with me? We want, like the newspaper, you got headlines and fine print. So if you're a fine print person, start thinking about it right now, right? So you can get some headlines, all right? And I'm going to hold the microphone, and you're going to come up, and you can stand on that side and stand, and then when I get ready for you, I'll motion you. And you're going to come right up here, and you're going to tell us something good that God did for you in your life, your family, your body, your finances. Think about it. I mean, he's done so much, sometimes it's hard to just pinpoint it, isn't it? But I pray that you'll participate. And if you get one or two brave souls, then other people might participate as well, okay? So first a corporate, then some personal, and then we're going to end in what I call a, a praise of expectation. Is that scriptural? Sure, think about it. Uh, you know... Uh, in uh, Acts 16, 25 through 26, and this is my last scripture maybe. Acts 16, 25 and 26, notice Paul and Silas, right? They're in prison at midnight. And what did they do? They began to sing, right? They prayed 
And they sang praises in a very quiet, reverent voice because they didn't want to disturb the other prisoners. Is that what it says? No. The prisoners heard them. Obviously, these guys are singing, man. They're praising God. They don't care who hears it. Whoa! And all of a sudden, the Bible says, suddenly, there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And notice what it says. Immediately, Paul and Silas's doors were opened. Is that what it says? All the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. Why would that happen? Because when you and I, as the sons and daughters of Almighty God, begin to offer the sacrifice of praise, His presence inhabits that. And then anyone in the vicinity can be blessed by the overflow. The chains can be loose. The prison doors can come open. You may have been battling some depression, man. That can just fly off of you. Are you with me? Oh, glory. So this praise of expectation, Lillian B. Yeoman said this. She said, praise. How many of you know who Lillian B. Yeoman's is? She was a medical doctor in the 1940s. She was addicted to heroin or morphine, excuse me, morphine addiction. She got delivered, born again, then had an amazing healing ministry all throughout the 1940s and later. And so she made this statement. She said, praise hastens victory. There's something about praising God that activates, like we just saw in that scripture, activates the power of God. So there's a praise for all he has done. There's a praise for what he is doing. But friends, there's also a praise for what we anticipate him to do based upon his word, his promise, or a prayer that we've prayed. And so we're going to offer that as the final praise. You got it? First, all he has done, then some personals, then a praise of expectation. Can I ask you a question? When did the walls, uh, when did they praise the, the children of, uh, uh, of Israel? When did they praise God? Before the walls fell or after? Before. When did Gideon and the, the uh, you know, facing the Midianites and, the, and therefore, uh, uh, when did they praise? Before the battle was won or after? Before. Man, the Israelites in 1 Samuel 4, they shouted so loud. The Bible says the ground shook. And the, and the, uh, Philistines, uh, the Philistines said, woe unto us. Let's scare every devil in Montgomery. Y'all ready? We're going to blow the house out this morning. You say, well, now I've never done that. Well, good, this is the first opportunity. Because, listen, nobody's going to be looking at you. We're all going to be giving our own shout. You say, well, I've never done that before. Well, give it a try. It's all in the Bible. Throughout the book of Psalms, there's something about the shout. God likes it. How do you know He likes it? It was a part of almost every battle plan in the Old Testament. Do this, 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 and then shout. Well, if He likes it, I like it. Right? So we're going to do that. Everybody stand up this morning. Woo! Hallelujah.